Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. Like so many other churches and houses of worship across the world, we've decided to take our weekly service online to comply with various social distancing efforts and stay-at-home orders in light of the recent coronavirus pandemic. Our stream goes live every Sunday at 10 a.m. Be sure to check it out on our website at cascadevineyard.org stream or on Facebook at Cascade Vineyard Church. We'd love to have you join us online. Enjoy this message. Good morning, Cascade Vineyard. Uh, Tucker here. Uh, thanks again for joining us online. Um, if you guys are still looking for ways to get connected or ways to still support the church, um, we are still taking tithes and offerings online uh, through the church website as well as um, through mail. You can mail them in. Um, you can also just use that little church center app you can download on a smartphone or an iPhone if you want. You can use that to give. Um, we are so excited uh, to know that we're getting really close to gathering together again soon. Glenn and I have been working really closely uh, with Pastor Dorothy to to work out a time to um, gather together again in person soon. Um, so we should have an announcement for you in the next week or two about what that's going to look like and when we'll get to be back together again. So uh, that's really exciting, and that's something that we can all look forward to together, especially amidst all the, the strange things that are going on in our world right now. Uh, so with that, I'll, I'm going to I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Jesus, thank you that um, we still have a means and ways to connect uh, with you uh, and with one another, even if it's not in person or in a way that community was really meant to be. Um, but you've given us the resources to to be creative and to find new ways uh, to share uh, with one another um, what you're doing um, and that you are speaking and moving among us even now through uh, turmoil and and chaos and crisis. And so God, I just pray that you would continue to give us wisdom uh, and that you would um, bless our time here online together. Uh, we love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I wanted to spend some time this week uh, visiting, revisiting parts of what Glenn talked about. Um, I, I feel like it would be irresponsible of me as a fellow leader at our church who um, shares and communicates with you all on a regular basis to to, to just um, have one message and, and, and kind of just glance over um, the current social injustices that we're seeing and facing in our current climate today. Um, and so with that, um, I wanted to just talk a little bit about um, how we can move the conversation forward and what it means for us as Christians and, and how do we move towards a redemptive story of what's happening. Um, and while there's a much to grieve and there's much to, um, to mourn and to, to bear arms with our, our friends that are people of color during this time, there is also things that we can do to actionably move forward to to edify and build up um, and celebrate uh, our, our friends who are either black or African-American or from a different ethnicity. And it's part of our responsibility as a church that is predominantly white in a predominantly white neighborhood in a predominantly white state um, to use uh, the space that we already have uh, because of our privilege uh, to, to elevate those who do not have the same access or the same privilege that we get. Um, and I think that starts at, at our core and our, our root. Um, 
So when I say that, this talk this morning isn't so much about or to um, us as a church body as much as it's a, uh, a collective agreement and acknowledgement of some things that we can all uh, be aware of moving forward. Uh, and that's acknowledging how racism has infected uh, the Western evangelical church over time and, and where, where that started and what we can do to look at the, the real redemptive biblical narrative uh, and where we can fit in that. And so um, I'm going to start with the early, earliest bit that I can, and that is a misunderstanding of where America would likely be considered within the context of Scripture. And what I mean by that is uh, for quite some time now since America's founding and since um, the pilgrims first came to colonize, uh, there has been this belief within Western Christianity that America or Americans um, are much like the nation of Israel or that they're like the Israelites and God's chosen people. And this polluted idea has been a part of our national identity as a country, but also our religious identity as a country um, for hundreds of years. And the reality is, if you were to take a look at current modern America and stick it into the biblical narrative, and if the Bible was being written today, America is largely not at all like the Israelites or the people of Israel who suffered through the entire Old Testament, wandering with no home in the desert, uh, made up of foreigners and welcoming foreigners in and continuously being removed or separated from their promise in the promised land, what we would probably find is America more like Rome and more like the early church uh, Roman Empire. Um, I, I said it. I'm not, I'm not trying to insinuate that America is an empire in any way, but if you were to fit our narrative um, as a country into the Bible, if it was being written today— it would fall more in that jurisdiction. And one of the ways that we can acknowledge and move forward with our friends who are people of color, who are black and African-American, is recognizing that for the last 400 years plus, they specifically identify probably most with what it means to be like the Israelites. Being in captivity, in slavery, being used for work, being treated as less than humans, and continually never really having a home, being removed from their home when we brought them to America for slavery. If there's a people group who understands the gospel and the redemptive nature of Jesus, it's our friends that are in the black and African-American communities, along with our other multi-ethnic communities as well. So acknowledging this is a, is a valuable step in moving forward, but it doesn't mean that that stops and our, and our narrative stops. It doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't relate to us and that there aren't certain stories that we as persons and individuals don't relate with. But in the grand scheme, the big narrative, we have made this mistake in our Western philosophy that we are chosen or special or more special and God's favorite because we live in America. We are just as uniquely important as anyone else, but we are not more important than anyone else. And that's that noticing that difference is going to be a key step moving forward in how we can abolish racism, especially within church, but also just in general in our country. So with that, uh, I wanted to just look at a, a couple of passages 
um, that that exude what it meant to be someone of privilege who was a bit more secure and had a bit more of a safety net for their life than some people who were of different ethnicity or of different faith at the time in the Bible. So we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 8, reading in verse 5, and it's called the faith of the centurion. Uh, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he doesn't. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. So one of the obvious reasons that I picked this passage is because it's a, a Roman centurion. And at the time, in uh, during Jesus's life, uh, Rome was the empire that was over uh, Jerusalem and, and the Jewish culture. So this centurion is a soldier, Roman, uh, whether he's a Jew working for the Roman army or if he's actually Roman, Either way, his situation is probably a bit more secure. He doesn't have to worry so much about his life being viewed under scrutiny or his religion being viewed under scrutiny or his allegiances being questioned because he is identified with the largely populist side, Um, much like I would as a white male in Oregon. I don't have to worry about a lot of uh, cultural or ethnic or societal issues really being that big of a deal um, because I've just never had to worry about it. And I represent what mostly had made up a lot of this country over the years. However, what is wonderful about the Roman centurion and why he's such a great example of ways that we can still be faithful and where we can change the narrative of what it means to be a part of either the privileged or be a part of those who have less to worry about when it comes to the way they look or the way they sound or what they believe in is this. Number one, uh, his privilege is in his own way and he recognizes it. One of the first things that uh, the centurion says to Jesus after Jesus has asked, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replies, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. And what's so fantastic about this is while being in a position of authority and of power, which he then acknowledges as how he relates to knowing that Jesus is Lord, is he also acknowledges I'm a part of a, a, a system or I, I am involved with a system that is otherwise unfair. And so I don't necessarily deserve to have you come and do this thing for me and heal my servant. But if you will, I believe it. And for us, that gives us an opportunity just because we have a privilege or just because we are uh, have elevated status uh, just by the way that we look and what we believe in. It doesn't mean that humility will not also lead us to the feet of Jesus. 
Um, and it does not mean that we can't be humble and it doesn't mean that um, we should be ashamed. It just simply means that we still have a call to humility and it's out of that humbleness that we can still see Jesus move and that we can still encounter God in a very real way because Jesus' response is beautiful. He's amazed at this man's faith. He's amazed at the centurion's faith. Jesus doesn't is not worried about if you come from the privileged background or if you come from uh, a bad background as much as he's worried about equalizing it and bringing kingdom come into your life. If it looks wrong, he wants to fix it. So even though this centurion is probably in a place of privilege and probably lives a comfortable life, he is suffering and hurting because his servant is suffering and hurting. And Jesus sees the honest heart and he's amazed at the faith by it. And so even though we um, have a lot of work to do when it comes to relating to our friends who are marginalized and to black and African-American people who do suffer from oppression. Uh, when we are humble ourselves, we can still see God move in our own lives. Uh, and two, uh, his recognition of Jesus as Lord comes from him as a soldier, recognizing what it means to have authority over people. And the reason why he cares so much about his servant is because he recognizes his responsibility to care for those that are underneath him. And Jesus also recognizes this as a posture of humility. When we have elevated status and when we have more influence, we also carry an equal responsibility to use that influence to elevate and care for and empathize with and celebrate those who do not have the same opportunities that we do. And this centurion is able, I know I'm pulling a lot out of this tiny little bit here, but that's what it is. And part of Jesus' amazement is that this centurion cares so much about a servant and he's elevating him to that status to ask the Lord himself for healing. And that's the kind of humility that those of us who don't have to worry about um, the way we look or the way we sound, that's how we can use um, our, our advantage more or less to elevate the status um, for people who otherwise are suppressed by a system or suppressed by a living situation that is not not fair to them. And so that's one of the one of the texts I wanted to look at and show you guys. Uh, and again, I'm learning just as much as anyone else. I don't think I've got this all figured out by any means. Uh, I'm trying to navigate what it means to be really faithful to scripture and also be really faithful to um, be an ally, but also um, not be ashamed of who I am and not stop being who God has called me to be um, just because uh, I am a white person and a male and, and uh, I can't change that. Um, so I, I I have to do my best with what I've got. Uh, so we'll look at another passage and that's in Acts 10. Uh, in my notes, funny enough, I, I wrote Acts 10 and I just said, read the entire thing, but I'm not going to sit here and read it. It's really long. Uh, but in Acts 10, there's a story about this man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is also a Roman centurion who uh, is a devout, devout follower of God and, and is known for his prayer life, uh, known for his whole family being devout to the Lord and has a long history of being known for giving away generously to the poor, giving abundantly away to the poor and to the marginalized and to those who are not of the same status of him. And Cornelius has this encounter with an angel of the Lord. Um, I'll read the first bit for you. Uh, and it says, uh, 
he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. Later on in the passage, um, Cornelius is asked to bring Peter by the angel. He's by the angel um, to bring Peter to his home. And so Peter asks in verse 27 of chapter 10 in Acts, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask you why you sent me? To which Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon, the tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Why this is so important, the rest of the chapter carries on, and they have this radical encounter, and more or less a renewal service inside of Cornelius' house. Jew, Gentile alike, probably a lot of different people with a lot of different skin tones. And why this is a big deal and why it relates to us now is because someone in the status of privilege and safety and comfort, when called upon by the Lord to humble themselves, who had positioned themselves by giving the excess and giving abundantly to those who did not have as much, uh, the Lord came and moved and he met with them. And it didn't have to do with um, with whether or not uh, he was um, using his status for power as much as it had to do with his humility, his his letting go of power, as it were. And then Peter comes and he, he shows us a little a little neat trick when it comes to uh, different ethnicities as well, where he calls out the fact that he's a Jew. He shouldn't even be associating with these people. And both of them, Cornelius, Peter, and everybody else that's in that room, they just don't care. It's irrelevant when it comes to meeting with God and encountering with God together. They were breaking the law, um, the old covenant law that was, uh, and that was a huge thing and a big deal. Uh, and so we, we have a, a call to not view anyone as impure or unclean. Peter says it in verse nine, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So I was sent for and I came without raising any objection. Part of our recognition of our status or our privilege or whatever it is, is recognizing two things. One, there is nobody, there is no Jew or Gentile uh, in Christ and there's no, um, less or more, uh, less or better of ethnicities in Christ. It doesn't matter um, if you grew up in the white suburbs of Portland, Oregon, uh, you're not better. I'm not better. I still have to learn that sometimes. And that's not even towards people of different ethnicities. That's just in general. The posture of humility is ultimately the thing that brings people to the feet of Jesus. And for those of us who have um, better advantages and um, who have had the system treat us more fairly or have had more opportunity because of the way that we look. Our humility is the way that we lay down and build a bridge to affirm, lift up, and edify those who have not had that opportunity. And once again, we watch Cornelius do it. 
because of his humility, a Jew who should not be associating with Gentiles is in their house and then God meets them. And these are two people between Peter and Cornelius, both who are violating almost every rule of ethical or what they're supposed to be doing essentially within their own societies in their own cultures. So we have a call as the people who have the advantages to lay down what we have for others, to use what we have and also lay it down. So uh, this is just an encouragement for me and I'll close with this. We can't blame ourselves for things we simply have no control over. Uh, I I can't, it, and it's really easy and I've been hearing the term a lot um, and I've had different conversations with different friends, uh, both, both, both white, both black, uh, you know, and we, this whole idea of white guilt and white shame, it will ultimately get us nowhere. Um, it does not help to be ashamed of yourself while you're also trying to build a better future for people who don't look like you. If you can't even be okay with yourself, you're going to have a hard time affirming those around you. So again, we cannot blame ourselves for things we simply have had no control over. However, as Jesus followers, this is really important. There is a call a responsibility to repent, which is to literally turn away from. We have a responsibility to turn away from the old ways and the old things that have clearly oppressed and made things unfair and have been disadvantageous to our friends of color and our black and African-American brothers and sisters. It's clear and obvious. It is not our fault that we're born white But if we live in this day and age, in in the climate that we are in, and do nothing, it is our response. That is a responsibility we will answer for when we meet with Christ. It will be something that we will have to give give testimony to, as the Bible talks about later on. To sit and do nothing is not. It's not about whether or not you're a racist if you do nothing. It's it's about if you're following Jesus or not and do nothing. And that's what we're most concerned about. So that's why I read these passages. To do nothing is to not follow Christ. To turn and repent and go the new direction. To go a different way. To go the way that Jesus demonstrated and showed. To go the way that the Roman centurion in Matthew did. To go the way that Cornelius did. To go the way that Peter did was a different way. It crossed social boundaries. It crossed cultural boundaries. Uh, but it was ultimately to get to the feet of Jesus. And that's what the, that's the business we have to be about as we move forward uh, during all of this. Um, I know I just threw a lot of information at you, but I believe we have a story and a, and a role to play in the redemptive narrative of, of bringing equality to those who are uh, of people of color and that we um, can use our advantages uh, to do so and to elevate the status of those who have otherwise been uh, oppressed from being able to do so. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm, I know it's a lot. Uh, I might've frustrated some of you. Uh, so sorry if I did. Um, I'm totally open to, uh, having a zoom call or phone call. If you want to DM me on Facebook or Instagram, uh, I'm open to those things. I, I love public discourse or not even public discourse. I love discourse. Um, but only if it's, uh, only if it's, uh, informative and critical thinking, uh, if it's slandering and rude, I, I, I'll probably ignore it. Um, but yeah, I'm going to close with prayer and, um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. So God, thank you so much again, uh, that you use us in the midst of our still learning, that you use us in the midst of our, um, 
not having it all correct and not having it all right. And, and God, that you have moved throughout the centuries um, in the Western church here in the United States, even while we've been in the middle of sinfulness and harboring generational um, habits that are that are suppressive and oppressive and racist at, at the core. Um, and that God, you are doing a new thing and that we get to be a part of doing a new thing with you. Um, the story's not over yet if, if it hasn't been made right. So God, we lean on you. Uh, we lean on your wisdom. We discern uh, how you want us as a church body to go and how you want us as a nation to go. And God, we, we thank you for that. And we love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, have a great week. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give. We'll see you all online next week.